Oh, you won't miss it. Things like it. And of course, it's always good to ask God if you should be on the ministry team. So right now, I think we're done with announcements, and I'm going to invite my husband, Russ, to come up, who's going to... Speak a word of encouragement and I think some inspiration to us. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan. It always helps to make an adjustment with the mute button, by the way. It's one of those one of those secrets to life. <laughs> Undo the mute button. Well, it's a, it's a great honor to um, have the chance to, to share with you tonight, and it's my prayer that you receive everything that God wants you to receive. Wow. Through my words, if, if that helps directly, if that's better. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wasn't the worship wonderful this morning? It was just so great this evening. It was... Uh, um, we really were transported. Thank you so much, worship team. And I want to thank also the the, uh, the hero behind the scenes, Patrick, also for uh, for doing the soundboard. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see if this works. Testing. With we'll see if the uh, are we ready yet, Patrick? For the there we are. Okay. All right, so I entitled this talk, Future Sense. I thought it was a catchy title, um, Living Wisely. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? Now, some of you immediately went to the Beach Boys song. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if life was simply about going down a gentle river in an inner tube. Kind of like this. Wouldn't, th wouldn't that be nice? And sometimes everybody was just floating with you. <laughs> that would be nice. But as nice as tubing through life sounds, we're making choices all the time. When you're tubing down the river, there's not a lot of choices, are there? Do I paddle or do I just float? <laughs> so, or maybe if you're really active, you might decide you're going to squirt the person next to you or something. But not a lot of big choices, right? But in real life, things aren't like that, are there? Are they? We're faced with challenges and choices every day. We make many decisions every day. And even when we try hard to avoid difficult choices, even avoiding is a decision, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? We, sometimes we decide by not deciding. And ultimately, our choices shape us and deeply affect those close to us as well. Not to mention the many things that may affect us profoundly that we generally have little control over, 
like the economy, weather, earthquakes, accidents, dangerous diseases. I ran into one of those uh, summer of 2011. Violence, crime, war, there's a bunch of stuff out there, isn't there? And a lot of it we don't have a lot of control over. Not only that, of course we want to live as entrepreneurial sons and daughters of Father God, don't we? You, how many of you heard uh, Brent share those messages about that? They were really, really encouraging, weren't they? We want to be led by the Holy Spirit so the, that we are positioned and prepared for what God dreams for us. From Ephesians 2.11 in the New Living Translation, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We, we want to do those things, don't we? Yes. But that's a lot to try and manage, isn't it? But there's good news. We know the one who is the beginning and the end. We know the one who holds all things together. Oh, by the way, on that one, how many times do you find yourself thinking you're supposed to hold everything together? <laughs> Good news for you. That's not your job. <laughs> Who's the one who holds all things together? Jesus. And he will never let go of us or lose us. When I was preparing for this talk, I asked the Lord um, what... What he wanted to, um, what was the main thing he wanted to get across? What's the key? The key to living now and preparing for the future is it's coming soon. Friendship. Friendship. And especially friendship with. Jesus. Okay, you can go go home now. <laughs> you don't ha you don't have to, but there's more to come if if you want. There's more good stuff, but if you get that, you got the main key. The key to living now and preparing for the future is friendship with Jesus. Wow. I'm going to go through some passages that you're probably real familiar with, but they're so good. And someone's being hit by joy. Yeah. That's good. Joy is good. Joy is good. Yes. Jesus said this, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Friends share stuff with, the, with each other, don't they? The deep stuff, the really, really important stuff, and the vulnerable stuff. And by the way, he chose us. He chose you. You did not cho choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
It's true. It's who you know, isn't it? <laughs> it's who you know. Jesus chose you to be a friend of his. That's an amazing, startling, out-of-this-world joy and privilege, isn't it? So I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm just going to read this to you, but I want you to soak in it. This is from Colossians. Well, it didn't quite go over there yet. But you're closing your eyes anyway, so you wouldn't notice that. (laughs) All right. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, everyone say all things, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I want you to repeat that too. In Jesus, all things hold together. That's a really good thing to remember when things seem to be falling apart. Okay? Yeah. That's a good thing, isn't it? (laughs) And if you're a scientific kind of person, there are people who actually see a connection between what's being learned about quantum mechanics and how God does stuff. Like in this book here, Quantum Glory, there's actually other books as well. So if you have a scientific mind, there's some really intriguing things about, about, um, about what science is learning and how it only makes sense if you understand the spirit realm. So highly recommend this if you're of a scientific mindset. But you'll learn about partly how he holds everything together. It's by by observing and speaking to, to the, what's the invisible things to make the, the visible things occur, happen, manifest. Once we know, I put no in, in quotation marks because I mean experientially know, right? Not here, but here, that we are eternally secure in Jesus with Father God and we live in friendship and communion with Jesus, that's the, that's the most important thing, isn't it? And I have a few more things, some helpful points of wisdom uh, to go beyond that. But a lot of it still comes out of relationship with Jesus. It comes out of being a secure son and a secure daughter. And that's, that's what you hear a lot here at Blazing Fire, don't you? We, we major in, in uh, preaching the, the gospel, the good news that, that Jesus loves you. The Father God adores you. The Holy Spirit delights uh, to be, be your companion. We major in that, don't we? The good news. The Holy Spirit. He has a lot to do with the future. Did you know that? 
However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. So, who knows about the future? The Holy Spirit. He's going to reveal, guide you into all truth, guide us into all truth, and he is going to tell us things to come. That's part of the key of uh, having good future sense, is being connected with the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent as a gift to us. So I want to talk a bit about processing things that might be from the Holy Spirit. There we go. So there's lots of ways that God speaks. We've been, we've been talking a lot about God's voice and God speaking tonight, haven't we? Has he, has he been orchestrating that or what? So some of the ways that God might be speaking to us is our own impressions, dreams, thoughts, visions, audible voices, encounters. So what happened to Graham, that was an encounter, wasn't that? Yeah. That was a that was a uh, amazing encounter. Other ways the Holy Spirit might be speaking to us is messages through other people, per- personal prophetic words like what some folks received last Saturday, or prophecy to churches, regions, nations, etc. One of the ways that we can avail ourselves to hearing from God is also by by journaling. How many of you all journal? Pretty good. Very good. My wife has been my most local evangelist for journaling. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I resist it a lot, but it's always good when I do. Do you, anybody else experience that? There's like this resistance to doing it, but man, when you do it, God speaks. And uh, he says important things sometimes, doesn't he? Uh, back, I was looking through my journal February of 2010, Actually, it was Grand, Groundhog Day for some reason. God spoke. And um, he talked about um, a coming crisis. Uh, and he talked about uh, it was going to be a golden opportunity for divine intervention. And he said, and I will carry you. I had no idea what that meant. But about a year and a half later, God carried me. I was in a coma, almost died. God carried me. And I believe that what was happening is he was depositing something in my spirit man to hold on to. A lot of times the words of God come in like a seed and bear fruit at a, at a later time when, they, when, they're needed to, when it's needed to. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times God speaks really subtly, doesn't he? Really, you know, even with Elijah, he talked about the still small voice. And when, when God showed up for Moses, it was just a burning bush, bush over on the side. Moses had to notice it, he had to become aware of it, and he had to decide, ah, I'm going to find out what's going on here. And that's often the way God speaks, in the still small voice, in little nudges and little impressions, and he waits and sees whether we're going to stop and notice. And, and, and then he'll give us more, oftentimes. So... Sometimes God uses whispers and nudges. 
Nudges. <laughs> Nudges. Many years ago, I'll tell you a couple of my stories, and I'm actually going to ask you to share a story with someone else after this as an exercise. So, <clears throat> yeah. This is, this, this is a participatory church here. <laughs> well, one of my stories is um, when Susan went back to North Carolina for two years back in 93 to 95, uh, I was living as a kind of like a college student in people's extra rooms. And um, I stayed with one family for about a year and then another family. And I was, uh, in the, sometime during the second year, I was just driving down Highway 13 and I felt like someone was gently brushing my forehead. And I went, hmm. It wasn't itching. You know, sometimes you just have an itch on your forehead. It was, no, someone was stroking my forehead. And I went, hmm, why is this happening? Oh, I am right close to where this family lives. Maybe I'm supposed to go and, and say hi to this family I used to live with for a year. And I, uh, I, I drove over there, and there was a moving van, a huge moving van in the driveway. They were moving to Las Vegas. If I hadn't gone, they would have been gone. So somebody, the Holy Spirit, an angel, somebody came and brushed my, my forehead, and I'm so grateful that I, I turned aside and checked it out. You have stories like this too, I'll bet. Um, another one which I benefited from was uh, Susan. Uh, Susan went away on a retreat last summer. No, summer before last, excuse me. And uh, I was feeling a little sick. She, she, she talked to me on the phone, and I said, well, I'm, I'm feeling a little better. Uh, and she called me back. And then, but she had an impression that maybe things weren't as good as I thought they were. And so she felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit. She came back from the retreat. I was, had low oxygen, was getting exhausted. I'm not sure I would have lived that night if she hadn't come home. But that was just, that was just a nudge. That was just an impression. But, but Susan was paying attention to it. So sometimes even the little things can make big differences. So I'd like to invite all y'all to find someone you don't know well, pair up with someone, and I'd like each of you to share a story of a time when you acted upon a nudge or impression, a word, a dream, etc., and how it made a difference. And if you don't have your own story, you can share one that impacted you, but it, the best would be to share a story that you have. Okay? So go ahead and pair up. I'll give you a little bit of time to do that. And if someone is doesn't have someone, um, raise your hand and we'll have people find you. Okay? So raise your hand if you haven't found someone yet. And, and then look around for someone who's also raising their hand.
So I encourage the first person to kind of start finishing up. If you are, if you're not on the second person, go ahead and maybe finish up first person over the next 30 seconds or so. Okay, it's time to, for the first one to finish off and the second one to start, if you haven't already. Switch to the second story, the second person. Or if, or if you haven't, if you, you can have another one. If you're finished, you can, if both people are finished, you can tell another story if you want. But, well, each person should tell one story at minimum. And if uh, both of you have told one story, somebody can tell another story. Okay, maybe another 30 seconds, 45 seconds or so. Okay, then we'll come on back.
Okay. Time to come back. Was that good? Engage number one. <laughs> I know. And hey, I've I've got some good news for you. You can you can so continue this conversation after after uh, the talk is over. Okay. So I just don't want you to miss some of the good stuff still ahead. I've got a really good story to tell you. Okay. A couple of really good stories. So how was that? Was that good? I, I felt I felt the uh, the water table rise in the room as you as you were sharing God's stories with each other. It's so encouraging, isn't it? So we just let's just thank let's just thank God for um, for His nudges and His whispers and and His 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 timely messages to us that that made such a difference. We just give you all honor and glory and praise, and we thank you. Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for watching over us and taking care of us and speaking to us and making a huge difference in our lives and the lives of those around us. Amen. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Something not on the slides that I want to talk about, which we were just doing, is is we were sharing, um, and as you, as you share, also as you practice hearing God, you get better at it, don't you? There's actually a scripture in Hebrews five fourteen, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, you don't have to be old, by the way, just of full age. That that is those who, by reason of use meaning by exercise, have their spirits exercised to discern both good and evil. And when I first read that passage, I thought all it was about was just discerning. Is it a good witch or a bad witch? But, <laughs> but no, it means discerning, oh, this is good and I am receiving from this. Oh, no, this is not good and I'm not, I'm not going to let that influence me. Does that make sense? So it's a whole much bigger thing than just is it, is it good or bad. And... So, so as we practice, as we exercise, as we start acting more and more on those nudges and those whispers and those dreams, uh, we grow in our capacity to know when it's really God who's, um, who's giving us those, don't we? So it's a, part of the adventure is trying stuff out. And it is also our responsibility to test and discern, which was actually in that scripture too. So, like, what one of the, one of the important tests is what is the strength of the revelation we received? Now, if Jesus showed up in a field with you, that would be really, really high strength revelation. You know, a little brush on your forehead or a little impression, a little thought in your brain, that would be lower strength, but could still be very important, right? So, so part, of, part of what happens is usually 
the strength of the revelation relates to the impact that God knows is necessary for us to uh, take that and run with it. Is that making sense? So when Susan was uh, flying back to uh, North Carolina for an interview about the, um, the program that she was, had applied to for being a PA, she heard close to an audible voice as the plane was circling to, to land, this is home. That was really strong. She was going, who said that to me? And uh, then she called me up soon after she landed and said, Russ, Russ, I've got to tell you about this. Um, so that was, that was strong enough for us to believe that maybe God was wanting Susan to, to do that. So pay attention to kind of what the strength is. doesn't mean that still small voices and whispers don't matter. But if, if it's stronger, it's because we need that strength in order to carry out what God's giving us. Uh, also, is it within within the bounds of God's written word. So that's a really, really important test. So getting to know God's written word is really helpful in, in discerning um, whether something isn't from God or not. Does our, oh, let me take, speak about that just a moment longer. Um, in the writings of Moses, he was very concerned that people not be misled by people claiming to be prophets. God was very concerned. He spoke through Moses in Numbers about that. He said, even if, if a prophet says something and comes to pass, but they're trying to lead the people away from me, don't listen to them. So that's why it's important to know God's, uh, God's word as well as l- listening to his voice. Because there can be, there can be uh, false signs and wonders, can't there? Yeah. Another uh, way of testing, important, is does our spirit and the Holy Spirit resonate with, the resol- res- with that revelation? Do you have a witness in your spirit? Do you have a you know, kind of a yes or a, do you vibrate? <laughs> like if, <laughs> if the line of Jude- Judah was roaring like he was tonight, did you vibrate? <laughs> did you resonate <laughs> to his voice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of one of those great songs that Carlos wrote and sang, as she was singing "Lion Roar," I remembered Amos three eight. A lion has roared; who will not fear? The Lord Yahweh has spoken; who can but prophesy? So part of the real prophetic words we resonate with, don't we? The voice of the Lord is a vibration. That our spirits are—we're learning to tune our spirits to His spirit. <clears throat> and if it's coming through someone else, you get to ask, "What is their track record? And do they love God?" So, if someone you don't know comes up to you and says, "God says, sell your house." and move to Florida, and you don't know them, you don't have a relationship with them, you don't know their track record as far as hearing from God, how much weight should you put on that? (laughs) Pretty close to zero. Now, it would be interesting if you had a dream about selling your house and moving to Florida, and you had a couple of other things that you would receive directly from God, and then God gave you that. That would be more interesting, wouldn't it? But by itself, you're not under any obligation. 
Um, and sometimes people, whether they're well-meaning or not, have a desire to control other people. And uh, sometimes they do it by saying, thus saith the Lord. Anybody have that happen to you? <laughs> yeah. You are... In, that is not God, first of all. And your spirit knows that. Your heart knows that. And just because they added some fancy King James English doesn't mean you have to believe it or listen to it. Okay? Freedom. Everyone say freedom. 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 Okay. <laughs> and the other question is, do they love God? That's another, you know, what's, the, what's their character as well as what's their track record? Well, let me go back one to one more. If the cost of following the revelation is significant, are there confirmations? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, with Susan, she heard from God, this is home, but she submitted it to her husband, to her spouse. And she was leaving it with me to also hear from God. She was looking for confirmation. She wasn't going to say, well, God said, therefore, we have to do this. And especially if you're if you if you're if you're married, it's really important with big decisions that you're both hearing from God about that. I've never seen it work well to ignore that. <laughs> yeah, and but also just the, the cost. So if the cost is high. You want the, the the strength of the revelation needs to be stronger, and it, often you'll get confirmations. Okay, is that helpful? Good. Some folks have been through kingdom training or transformed. We may have heard some of this. Uh, some folks haven't. And also, I think it felt like to me, the Lord was saying, I want you to, to just reemphasize these things for folks, even if you've heard it before. And I have some cool stories also. So those are coming up shortly. <clears throat> Sometimes lives are preserved by responding to two, pro- two true prophecies. Oops, I went too far. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Brent. So here's a couple. There's the story of the followers of Jesus who remembered his warning about Jerusalem. And later on, I'm going to tell you the story of a village in Armenia and a boy who gave himself to seeking God. In Luke 21, Jesus said this about Jerusalem and Judea. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and, not, and let not those who are in the country enter her. That means enter Jerusalem. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written about may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, in our common era, I think starting around uh, CE 65, um, the Romans did start coming and surrounding Jerusalem. And uh, they backed off for a bit, and then, then finally uh, there was a terrible siege. Many, 
many people within Jerusalem were actually already killing each other. There were factions of the Jews that were actually killing each other and doing terrible things to each other within Jerusalem before the Romans actually breached the, the siege walls and, and killed more people. Josephus estimates that about 1.1 million people died. And that was within a generation. That Jesus said this will all happen within a generation. It was a terrible time. And in that time, there were people falsely claiming to be the Messiah. And even 60 years later, uh, someone named Bar Kokhba led another rebellion, and he was acclaimed by a rabbi to, be, to possibly be the Messiah, and that was also crushed. So there were lots of times where there were false messiahs claiming to be the, the one, claiming to be Neo, and they weren't. <clears throat> but... But early church tradition indicates that the followers of Jesus got out. They remembered what Jesus said. From uh, Eusebius' history of the church, he writes, But the people of the church in Jerusalem had been commanded by a revelation, vouchsafed to approved men, that before the war to leave the city and to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And from another source I read... um, a researcher named Craig Coaster. He published his discussion about the Pella flight in which he closely examines the texts of Eusebius, Epiphanius, and Pseudo-Clementine recognitions and concludes that the origin of the tradition is that it actually recalls actual events of the first century. In other words, you look at all the information and, and people are kind of weighing the historical writings and they're saying it, everything points to this really did happen. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Jesus warned, they remembered, they got out, and they avoided the, the slaughter that happened in Jerusalem. So that was one point. That was one very, very uh, clear and powerful example of how uh, prophecy can save, can preserve lives. And now I'm going to read you another story. This is from the book, The Happiest People on Earth, by Demos Shakarian. It's about this little village called Caracalla. This was um, in the late 1800s. Uh, the first story, which I'm not going to read, is how um, an uncle prophesied that um, Demos's grandfather was going to have a child, even though his, his wife and him had not been able to conceive. A boy, I should say. Uh, so I'm going to jump in. Over the years, several families living in Caracalla had begun to accept the message of the Russian Pentecostals. So right nearby, there were... Um, there were Russian Pentecostals. Most of the folks in this village were actually, interestingly enough, Presbyterian. Uh, they had sought refuge there because they had been um, they had been kind of persecuted by those who had the Orthodox faith. So the Presbyterians moved to this little village that the um, the, 
the Russian government made, made available to them. But the, these Russian Pentecostals, who were actually known as uh, the Molokans, the milk drinkers, um, would often come and share with them and live nearby. Over this, so I'll read that, that sentence again. Over the years, several families living in Caracalla had begun to accept the message of the Russian Pentecostals. By the way, here is a rather hard-to-watch uh, photo of Caracalla. The message of the Russian Pentecostals. Grandfather's brother-in-law, Magardish Mushigan, was one of these. He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and on his frequent visits to the Shikarian farm, could talk about the newfound joy in his life. On this particular day, May 25, 1891, grandmother and several other women were sewing in the corner of the one-room farm. That is, grandmother was trying to sew, but tears kept falling on the material in her lap. Hmm, actually, I'm, I'm going to read that story, it turns out. Across the room next to the window where the light was good, Magardish Michigan sat with his Bible open on his knee, reading. Suddenly, Magardish snapped his Bible shut, got up, and walked across the room. He stood in front of Grandmother, his heavy black beard bobbing up and down in his excitement. Gulisar, Magardish said, the Lord has just spoken to me. Grandmother's back straightened. Yes, Magardish? He's given me a message to you. Gulisar, exactly one year from today, you will give birth to a son. When grandfather came in from the fields, grandmother met him at the door with the news of the wondrous prophecy. Pleased, wanting to believe yet skeptical, grandfather said nothing. He only smiled and shrugged his shoulder and marked the date on the calendar. The months passed and grandmother became pregnant again. By this time, everyone in Karakala knew of the prophecy and the whole village waited in suspense. Then on May 25th, 1892, exactly a year from the day the prophecy was given, Grandmother gave birth to a baby boy. It was the first time our family had encountered the Holy Spirit in this personal way. Everyone in Caracalla agreed that the choice for the new, for the little baby's boy's name was perfect. He was called Isaac, for he was like Abraham's long-awaited son, the child of promise. I'm sure it was a proud and happy man who paraded his family to church each Sunday after Isaac was born, but grandfather had a stubborn streak in him. All Armenians do. He considered himself too tough-minded to accept without reservation that he had witnessed a supernatural prophecy of the sort mentioned in the Bible. Maybe Magradish's prediction was merely a lucky chance. Then, all in one day, grandfather's doubts disappeared once and for all. In the year 1900, when Isaac was eight and his younger sister, Hamas, was for the news arrived that a hundred Russian Christians were coming over the mountains in their covered wagons. Everyone was pleased. It was the custom in Caracalla to hold a feast for the visiting Christians when they arrived. In spite of the facts, he didn't agree with the full gospel preached by the Russians. Grandfather considered their visits as times set apart for God and insisted that the welcoming feast be held on the large level plot of ground in front of his home. Now, Grandfather was proud of his fine cattle. With the news of the Russians were on their way, he went to his herd and looked them over. He would choose the very finest, fattest steer for this special meal. Unfortunately, however, the fattest steer in the herd turned out, on inspection, to have a flaw. The animal was blind in one eye. What should he do? Grandfather knew his Bible well. He knew he should not offer an imperfect animal to the Lord. 
For didn't it say in the 22nd chapter of Leviticus, verse 20, but who, whatsoever hath a blemish, that you shall not offer, it shall not be acceptable? What a dilemma. No other animal in the herd was large enough to feed the hundred guests. Grandfather looked around. No one was watching. Suppose he slaughtered the big steer and simply hid the blemished head. Yes, that's what he would do. Grandfather led the half-blind steer into the barn, butchered it himself, and quickly placed the head in a sack that which he hid under a pile of threshed wheat in a dark corner. Grandfather was just in time, for as he finished dressing the beef, he heard the rumble of wagons coming into Caracalla. What a welcome sight. Coming down the dusty road was the familiar caravan of wagons, each pulled by four perspiring horses. Beside the driver of the first team, erect and commanding as ever, sat the white-bearded patriarch, who was leader and prophet of the group. Grandfather and little Isaac ran up the road to greet their guests. All over town, preparations for the feast were underway. Soon the big steer was roasted on a spit over a huge bed of charcoal. That evening, everyone gathered, expectant and hungry, around the long plank tables. Before the meal could begin, however, the food must be blessed. These old Russian Christians would not say any prayer, even grace over meals, until they received what they called the anointing. They would wait before the Lord until, in their phrase, the Spirit fell upon them. They claimed, a little to grandfather's amusement, that they could literally feel his presence descend. When this occurred, they would raise their arms and dance with joy. On this occasion, as always, the Russians waited for the anointing of the Spirit. Sure enough, as everyone watched, first one and then another began to dance in place. Everything was going as usual. Soon would come the blessing of the food and the feast could begin. But to grandfather's dismay, the patriarch suddenly raised his hand, not in a sign of blessing, but as a signal that everything was to stop. Giving grandfather a strange, penetrating look, the tall, white-haired man walked from the table without a word. Grandfather's eyes followed the old man's every movement as the prophet strode across the yard and into the barn. After a moment, he reappeared. In his hand, he held the sack, which grandfather had hidden beneath the pile of wheat. Grandfather began to shake. How could the man have known? No one had seen him. The Russians had not even reached the village when he had hidden that head. Now the patriarch placed the telltale sack before grandfather and let it fall open, revealing to everyone the head and the milk-white eye. Have you anything to confess, Brother Demos? The Russian asked. Yes, I have, said grandfather, still shaking. But how did you know? God told me, the old man said simply, you still do not believe that he speaks to his people today as in the past. The Spirit gave me this word of knowledge for a special reason, that you and your family might believe. You have been resisting the power of the Spirit. Today is the day you will resist no longer. With tears running down his face into his bristly beard, Grandfather Demas asked their forgiveness. Show me, he said to the prophet, how I too can receive the Spirit of God. And it goes on to talk about that a little more. This was the beginning of great changes in our family's life, and one of the first was a change in the attitude toward Caracalla's most famous citizen. This person was known throughout the region as the boy prophet. Even though at the time of the incident with the steer's head, the boy prophet was 58 years old. His real name was Efim Gerasimovich Klubnikin, 
and he had a remarkable history. He was of Russian origin, his family being among the first Pentecostals to come across the border, settling permanently in Caracalla. From the earliest childhood, Ephim had shown a great gift for prayer, frequently going on long fasts and praying around the clock. As everyone in Caracalla knew, Ephim, was, when he was 11 years old, he heard the Lord calling him again to one of his prayer vigils. This time he persisted for seven days and nights, and during this time received a vision. This in itself was not extraordinary. Indeed, as grandfather had been accustomed to grumble, anyone who went that long without eating or sleeping was bound to start seeing things. But what Ephim was able to do during those seven days was not so easy to explain. Not so easy. Ephim could neither read nor write. Yet, as he sat in a little stone cottage in Caracalla, he saw before him a vision of charts and a message in a beautiful handwriting. Ephim asked for pen and paper. And for seven days, sitting on a rough plank table where the family ate, he laboriously copied down the form and shapes of letters and diagrams that passed before his eyes. When he had finished, the manuscript was taken to people in the village who could read. It turned out that this illiterate child had written out in Russian characters a series of instructions and warnings. At some unspecified time in the future, the boy wrote, every Christian in Caracalla was in terrible danger. He foretold a time of unspeakable tragedy for the entire area when hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children would be brutally murdered. The time would come, he warned, when everyone in the region must flee. They must go to a land across the sea. And although he had never seen a geography book, the boy prophet drew a map showing exactly where the fleeing Christians were to go. To the amazement of the adults, the body of water depicted so accurately in the drawing was not the nearby Black Sea, nor the Caspian Sea, or even the far-off Mediterranean, but the distant and unimaginable Atlantic Oceans. There was no doubt about it, nor about the identity of the land on the other side. The map plainly indicated the east coast of the United States of America. But the refugees were not to settle there, down there. The prophecy continued. They were to continue traveling until they reached the west coast of the new land. There, the boy wrote, God would bless them and prosper them and cause their seed to be a blessing to the nations. Then, a little, I'm, gonna, I'm skipping apart. Then, a little after the turn of the century, Ephim announced that the time was near for the fulfillment of the words he had written down nearly 50 years before. We must flee to America. All who remain here will perish. Here and there in Caracalla, Pentecostal families packed up and left the holdings that had been their ancestral possessions time out of mind. Ephim and his family were among the first to go. As each group of Pentecostals left Armenia, they were jeered by those who remained behind. Skeptical and disbelieving folk, including many Christians, refused to believe that God could issue pinpoint instructions for modern people in modern age. But the instructions proved correct. In 1914, a period of unimaginable horror arrived for Armenia. With remorseless efficiency, the Turks took, began the bloody business of driving two-thirds of the population out into the Mesopotamian desert. Over a million men, women, and children died in these death marches, including every inhabitant left of Caracalla. Another half a million were massacred in their villages in a, prog in a pogrom that was later to provide Hitler his blueprint for the extermination of the Jews. The world did not interfere with when Turkey wiped out the Armenians, he reminded his followers. It will not intervene now. 
The few Armenians who managed to escape the besieged areas brought with them tales of great heroism. They reported that the Turks sometimes gave Christians an opportunity to deny their faith in exchange for their lives. The favorite procedure was to lock a group of Christians in a barn and set it afire. If you are willing to accept Muhammad in place of Christ, we'll open the doors. Time and time again, the Christians chose to die, chanting hymns of praise as the flames engulfed them. And those who heeded the warning of the boy prophet and sought asylum in America heard the news with dismay. Wow. There's a lot more there, but I just... I also learned in researching this that um, there was actually a general revival that happened in Armenia uh, in the early 1900s. And many, many um, were touched by the Spirit. Many, many were saved. And um, like other times in history, sometimes God sends a great revival before something uh, really intense happens. It's his grace for people to know who loves them and, and to hold on to him through hard times. So I don't share that with you as a downer, but um, but just it's an amazing story, isn't it? And um, you can read more about it if you want to get the book. But I've loaned my copy of this twice and never got it back, so you'll have to get <laughs> get, get your own uh, used book from a bookseller. I know it's nine o'clock, so I think we do need to get the kids a little past nine. We're good. A few more minutes, okay. A couple more pictures of Armenia. Here's some good words from the Apostle Paul about prophecy in the Spirit. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Hold on to what is good and reject all kind, every kind of evil. That's a good word right there. So on the one hand, we're not supposed to just dismiss all the prophecies like, like um, Grandfather Demos did until he got, he got convinced. On the other hand, we need to be wise and test them. And so we get to do both. We don't do just one or the other. We, do, we, we, treat, we, uh, we pay attention to prophecies. We see whether there's a resonance in our heart. We kind of go through the, the, those different discerning tests and, and we hold on to what's good because it can make a big difference, can't it? I'm just going to really quickly just say a couple more things, really, really quickly. Um, here's something common sense for, your, for future prep. We've been talking about paying attention to prophecy. There's something else we can all do, which is we should just physically prepare for um, for something that might we might not. Um, what shall I say it? In case something that interrupts the necessities of life. So I just want to, as as one of the pastors here, is I just want to encourage you to do your own preparation. Um, just real briefly, uh, it's good to aim for a minimum of two weeks. Uh, everyone would be great to have a gallon of water per day. So. Two weeks of water per person would be how many gallons? 14 gallons. Very good. Per, and so if you have more people in your household, that would be good to have more. Uh, canned food, canned goods, energy bars. 
There's longer-term storage products available at various places like Costco or the Internet. If your stored food needs to be cooked, stove and fuel might be a good idea. Basic necessities, personal hygiene, toilet paper, etc., and maybe even hiding some extra money safely would be a good idea. But I want to leave you with this. It's much better to take even a few steps rather than feel overwhelmed and do nothing. <laughs> uh, a helpful and thorough site is www.ready.gov. So can everybody say that back to me? www.ready.gov. Wow. <laughs> Very good. So I was trying to cover a bunch of different things with this, with future sense, including understanding prophecy, uh, realizing God has done amazing things through prophecy and confirming his word, and uh, a little bit about just having some common sense about getting ready for uh, unexpected shortages that might happen. We live in earthquake country. There's lots of different things that can happen. Thankfully, nothing has for many, many years. But I just want to encourage everyone to have something for yourself and something to help with your neighbors as well. Something that God can multiply. <laughs> wow. So, so I bless you to, be, uh, to enjoy your friendship with Jesus, that the key to living well and preparing for the future is friendship with him, walking in the spirit as sons and daughters of the Most High and growing in your experiences of responding to the ways that he reveals himself to you, the nudges, the whispers, the encounters, the dreams, the prophetic words, living supernatural lives, each one of you. I bless you. Amen. So if you wanted to continue telling stories about what God said to you, you're welcome to continue. And also, we'll have uh, some of the ministry team up here if, if you'd like to receive prayer. I do encourage you, if you come up for prayer, just go in one line. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know it's sometimes tempting to double and triple dip, but spend, I encourage you, if you receive some prayer, then to either just process it or go and pray or talk to other folks, okay? Thank you very much.